This guitar riff smokes two packs of cigarettes oh, a day. Fuck yeah. Just the riff. <laughs> yeah. This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Vasello and Kirik McMillan. Well, I'd love to introduce new countries that have come to our show, but I haven't looked lately. I don't know if we Jamaica, come on. Did we get Jamaica? Yeah. All right. Yes, sir. Fantastic. We finally plotted out all of the 50 United States. So bravo. Every one of them. Yeah. Even Montana. Montana was an early was entrant. Yeah, Bozeman. Somebody up there in Bozeman. And Helena, I believe. So probably driving back and forth. You know. <laughs> Not much to do. There the can't last, be a lot of radio stations out there. <laughs> the last holdout, I believe, was South Dakota. Huh. Yeah. Well, welcome South Dakota. Yes, indeed. Odd that North Dakota fell before South Dakota did. Military base, you know, why not? I've spent a little time in the Dakotas recently, and it's actually not that bad. Have you been up there in the wintertime? No. <laughs> I think that you probably have a different change of mind. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. <laughs> well, I just watched Fargo, actually, last night. It's a fucking splendid movie. Buscemi's fantastic. Just great. You get shot in the face. <laughs> Stuffing him in the, in the wood grinder. It's great. <laughs> Well, we, uh, we're kind of shifting through our summer schedule here, so uh, this episodes may come a little sporadically. Hang in there. Thank you for joining us again. We are still on our original feed, at least for this episode, but keep following 21 Idiots and a List, if you will, just in case we get chopped. They got other things to do right now. They're yeah, in the midst of a strike. I don't think they're there. Completely ignored our pleas for, hey, we were in the right, but... Whatever. It still frosts your ass. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> What's interesting is that InXS and Tom Petty are still available on YouTube. So if you haven't heard those episodes and you want to, go to YouTube. There will be ads. We don't get any revenue from it. Whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> those episodes are on YouTube. So apparently Universal doesn't mind that they're up there. Which is bullshit. All right, all right, let's move on. <laughs> because today we have for you an incredible get, right? This is the one that we've circled like forever. One of the like the Mount Rushmore bands, huge, crazy big. I mean, crazy big. Possibly in. the biggest band we've done so far. Oh yeah, settle in. This is going to be a long one. Because <laughs> today we're taking on the Rolling Stones. Formed in 1962, these guys have been at it for 61 years. I mean, it's no longer even a joke. It's just a marvel that they're still... I mean, have you seen some of the videos of their last couple of concert sets? It looks like geriatrics on stage, but they're wow. still moving. Well, yeah, they're still man. up there. They're I mean, still doing their thing. Yeah. 
like when I so I saw them in 2002. Oh, you did see them? Yeah, yeah, down at uh, at Comiskey Park, the old Sox Park, where the uh, the Pretenders opened up for them, which was kind of cool to see. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the Pretenders. Um, I didn't know this, but I was just doing a little research on this show alone, and they said that Bono came out and did one song with the band, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And I looked at the set list. It was the second song that they did that night, and he left without ever saying a word. And that was it. I have no recollection of that. And I'm a huge U2 fan. I was at the time. I have no recollection of that happening. And they didn't introduce him as Bono. He just came out and sang and left. I, I have no recollection of it. I don't know. Right. But it was like number, like the second song was like with Bono on, you know, vocals. I'm like, what the fuck did that happen? And why was Bono randomly in Chicago if U2 wasn't on tour? They weren't because they were on tour the year before in Chicago and they weren't on tour this year. Anyhow, that was just a side. But in 2002, when I saw them, I remember making jokes to my wife i'm like really do we have to go see the rolling bones i mean these guys are fucking old yeah and they were that was 20 years ago yes and you still can't convince me that all of the instruments were unplugged and they had a house band behind them playing shit <laughs> under the stage <laughs> because you know keith richards running around there strolling around just like strumming the guitar like he's still knocked off on heroin <laughs> heroin <laughs> i just i'm like i don't buy it i think they got a band behind them playing who knows? Whatever. I don't care. That, but now, 20 years later, you still, you, man, you're watching them and it's like, whoa, whoa, that's an old bunch of guys up there. But listen, they're still up there. So it's now a marvel. And they're still drawing the crowds now. They're drawing, as the as they get older, the crowd gets older. You don't see that with some other bands necessarily that tour. We just talked about the Foo Fighters. They tend to draw a younger crowd. The Stones that average age goes up with every right. year that they tour. As does their disposable income. The Stones have had a top-grossing tour for six decades. In the 70s, they were top-grossing, 80s, 90s, all the way up through to the 2020s. Their last tour was one of the top-grossing tours. It averaged $10 million a, a show. Now, most top-grossing tours get like $3 million. These guys are making $10 million a show. I looked up Jagger's net worth out of curiosity. Now, obviously, this is a number that kind of comes out of God knows where. So I tried to reference a few sites, and many of them put him at around $500 million. By comparison, John Bon Jovi is worth $400 million, and he was born the year that the Stones formed. I think the record deals back then were worse off. Why Bon Jovi did so much more, he probably integrated, probably invested differently. Who knows? I have no idea. And that yeah. number of 400 and 500 million may be totally incorrect. Anyway. Yeah, I had Mick at 550 and Keith Richards at $500 million. So that those two, you know, and that those right. two have all the writing, you know, uh, credits on all of the songs, as far as I can tell. And they didn't really share their writing royalties. No, no, it's all. those two. Yeah. And you have original members that were with that band mm -hmm. up until fairly recently when, you know, some of them have passed on. You know, Watts was with that band, I think, from, from the, the get-go. From the beginning, yeah. And so was Wyman. Right. And, you know, those guys didn't get any... I mean, they were shrewd. There's Mick and, Mick and uh, Keith were shrewd guys, yeah. man. And they were cutthroats, too. And Wyman was asked to join the band because he owned an amp. That's yeah. how early the in the stages it was. It wasn't, you're a great musician or you look great or you got a whatever. Oh, you got an amp? Yeah, you're in the band. Yeah. I've got the Stones in like four stages. 
right? There's four stages of them. And like the, the beginning stage from 62 to 68 is like them just kind of like, they had the same management as the Beatles. And so like, hey, you guys got to wear a suit and tie and make yourself look respectable. After a while, like people started saying like, oh yeah, they're just kind of like the Beatles or they mimic what the Beatles do. And like even that that awful psychedelic album that they made was kind of like, yeah, you guys are just trying to do Sgt. Pepper. And then Mick was like, fuck that. So when they got their shot on Ed Sullivan six months after the Beatles did, the Beatles came in and did their, you know, I want to hold your hand and everything like that. And Mick came in and he came in and he he didn't put on a suit and tie. He put on a sweater. Now, in today's day and age, that means nothing to sure. us. But back then, it was like, holy shit, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's disrespecting Ed Sullivan like that? Right. Like, it are, it set them apart as like, they're different. They're, they're not the Beatles. They're different. And like, you know, the... And it just, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to mimic, you know, a lot of the black artists that they, they, uh, you know, enshrined in their work. But at the end of that 65, 66, 67, you start seeing it come together. They do out Satisfaction, Paint It Black, Get Off My Cloud, Ruby Tuesday. I mean, these are putting together some really, really good songs. And for me, as, as I researched this band, what was interesting to me was I didn't realize that the Beatles and the Stones were actually friends and i don't know that they were like great friends but they supported each other yeah and it was always sort of in my mind that the stones were the anti-beatles and that might have been a result of marketing or how the press interpreted it or how it dissolved down to me when i got to the age where i was cognizant of who the stones were and who the beatles were right. which was easily you know 20 years after or at least 15 years after right you know they so, kind of started out yeah are you a beatles guy or a rolling stones guy you know if you would have asked me before this i would have had one answer and asking me after this i have another answer we can address that now. We can address that later. How would you like to do it? <laughs> Let's address it later. All right. Well, you can ask me. All right. Are I'm you a Stones a, guy. You're a Stones guy. Grew up with the Stones. My okay. old man is a Stones fan. I mean, I'm just a Stones guy. Okay. Love them. Gotcha. I mean, I think they're fucking awesome. And I and yeah. So what you're saying is correct. Like, you know, it's probably mostly marketing, like Beatles versus Stones. You got to, you know, one is better than the other. I just, I, you're right. I mean, Keith and Mick were in the All You Need Is Love video that they did in 1968. Like, they're there. Sure. Singing back. So it's like, it's not like there's this deep animosity. They had their run-ins. They had their rows. But I mean, it's like not even really a competition because they were gone. The Stones got picked up by Decca Records because of George Harrison. Yeah. And Decca Records had dropped the Beatles or not signed the Beatles, which is the sort of most famous... Decca Records was the Pete Best of (laughs) of record Uh, companies. And they passed on the Beatles. Harrison went to the guy he knew at DECA and said, you didn't take us. Now we're established. Take a gander over at these guys here. Right. And he pointed them towards the Stones, yep. and DECA signed the Stones. Yeah. So the, the second phase of the Stones is kind of like 68 to 78, where they become an undeniable powerhouse of rock music. I mean, Beggar's Bank let it bleed, sticky fingers, exile on Main Street, some girls. I mean, just five killer, killer fucking albums. Rattled them right off, straight one after the other. And these guys always had a film crew around them. Always. Like whether they were recording or whether they were performing. They they knew the value of like that type of vision, like that that type of like visibility for their audience. Like they didn't know what they were going to do with it, but 
get me a camera crew and put us on stage and start start recording. Their marketing of their band and of who they were is one of their strong points, right? The, their yeah. impact on fashion, their impact on the bad boy image of rock and roll yeah. was certainly at the very forefront, maybe not the tip of the spear, but pretty damn close to it. Earned. You look at, yeah, you look at, at their, there was a whole lot out there around how their long hair created all this kerfluffle. And at one point in the, I think it was the mid or later 60s, they had put a newspaper ad out around Christmas that said, sorry for all the hairdressers that are out of work as right. sort of a, you know, <laughs> thumbing of the, of the chin to, to people that didn't like the fact that these guys are running around with their long hippie hair. What's more, like unbelievable about this stretch from 68 to 78 it's like it's at the depths of their heroin addiction like keith like i've seen like i've seen millions of different documentaries on the stones and every single time like they're either recording or in a recording session or backstage he is so strung out like he is imagine doing this podcast and you're at the mic and i'm just like laid out on the fucking table and i can't even perform anything sure. like how can you go on like that I tried to scratch the surface on like, is it is it Keith who's just stealing all the glory from Brian Jones and Mick Taylor and he just put his name on the sign sheet is like, no, I wrote this song. I couldn't find any evidence of that. Keith Keith Richards is the real fucking deal. In terms of a songwriter? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I came away with. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a riff writer. Yeah, he's a riff writer. Yeah, and paired up with Mick, and the Mick is probably, in my my view, the one of the or the best lyricists that we we've seen in rock music. I like how he creates the poetry yeah. and we're, the story. We're, and we're, yeah, we'll, we'll get into we'll, that. We'll I'm sure. Get back around to that. Getting back to Richards on that note, I'm going to throw this out here: Is Keith Richards another Joe Perry from Aerosmith? How do you mean? I, I'm s- Joe Perry is not a great guitarist. Uh, Keith Richards is not a great guitarist. No. You cannot... Call me out if, if I'm wrong. You can't find a solo in a Rolling Stones song and go, he fucking shredded it. And if you do, you're finding one or two out of a series of hundreds? Right. Tens of hundreds? No, 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 no. So you're not going to get any argument from me, right? This We are two idiots here, so I don't know everything. What I do know is that he turned a lot of his stuff down to Nashville tuning, which is a special tuning of a guitar that's like mostly open chords. You can play a lot of different shit just by like barring your finger across all the strings, and wherever you put your finger, it's going to sound good. I think he benefited a lot from that. I think he had to. He was also he was also one of the first to do that. Yeah, and that, well, that first, created first to do it where people recognized it and understood yeah, yeah. it. Yes, I mean, yeah, they were taking a lot, stealing a lot from you know black artists in in Chicago and in the South for that. But they they were completely open about that. He's like yeah. Mick had said, he's like, I would not be here without Bo Diddley and Muddy Waters. There's just this is a Chicago blues band, absolutely. that that had in those early albums. Chicago Blues and Chuck Berry, two trains headed right towards each other, yeah. meshed, and now you've got the Rolling Stones. Yeah, the, the Rolling Stones. We've talked about this before. They took their British, you know, um, you know, culture centered around you know their types of lyrics and, and you know their types of storytelling, and they took that music, put it through their filter, and spit it back out at us. Right. And it's a great fucking sound. So I don't. It's not like they stole it. They were heavily, heavily influenced by it, and they said so. Like that's sure. this is why we're here. That's not new. 
Like in any art form, right? Everybody steals from everybody. I don't, I don't ding them for it either. But looking at most of the, when you look at concert footage, like you see like the melodies and the really intricate guitar work that's being done, it's being done by Mick Taylor or it's being done by Ron, by Ron Wood. Wood. Right. Those guys are fantastic musicians in their own right. Famously, Ron Wood comes from the faces and he was fucking great there. George Harrison came out and said, I think he's probably one of the best rock and roll rhythm guitar players. I don't think he's very good at lead. There you go. Straight and he's right. Yeah. He I'll, is absolutely right. I'll take his word for it. Harrison is one of the best. He added to this, he's not a guitar player that goes out and it's all he does. He writes songs. And that's where I give Richards the credit. Yes. I'm not sure Richards should be put on the pedestal that society has put him on. As this sort of legendary, <laughs> fucking, I'm fucking here for it. this this legendary axeman. Oh no, and I'm not sure that he's up there, but maybe my memory of being younger was thinking of Keith Richards as a good guitar player, and he's fucking not. Never, never. So I think they. So let's try to parse this out. When I think about axemen, like immediately who comes to mind is Page, Van Halen. Satriani. Satriani. Right? Those guys, right? Because Lifeson. Like, virtuosos. Yeah, that's right. Alex Lifeson. <laughs> I'm going to let that slide because I like his work. But never Keith Richards, no. right? He's just not there. But as a songwriter, yeah, he's, he's, he's every bit what, of it. But that's not what the Here's, public knows him as. The but, public doesn't know him as a songwriter. The public knows him as a guitar player no. and a heroin addict. The, the public knows him as the quintessential essence of a rock star. That's why he's Keith Richards. All right, Richards. I'll give you that. That's why he's Keith Richards. Yeah. He snorted his old man's ashes. That's not <laughs> a made-up story. That is not urban legend. He said it in his book. <laughs> I like that better than Motley Crue snorting ants with Ozzy Osbourne that's, or whatever the fuck they That's piker said. shit. <laughs> Guys are fucking running around with makeup on. <laughs> All right, come on. Let, let me let's wrap this up. So you've got you've got this crazy fifteen year run from sixty five to eighty, right? The most important band that we had for fifteen years. That's my my view. And then you get in this nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty six. So let, let me stop you there. Yeah. What made them so important, dude? The songs that they wrote and the longevity that they had. That I mean, they the Beatles fell apart because of heroin, and they just could not keep it. They couldn't keep John in the band. They had their solo projects already um, set, ready to go because like the, we can't rely on this fucking guy. Mick and Re- Richards. I mean, they they spent weeks trying to get the same like the sound that they were looking for. The, just the sound, let alone the song. Like satisfaction sounds completely different from painted black to to the sympathy for the devil. I mean, just like think of all the, that fifteen year span from sixty five to eighty is like all the different type of shit that they had. They reinvented themselves from the silk suit wearing guys in the nineteen sixties that would show up on on Ed Sullivan to the sympathy for the devil, the the New York City rock, Rolling Stones. There's just there's, there's no other band during that time period that is as important. The fucking Eagles. I, I would Zeppelin? say from a from an evolution standpoint, looking at a band like Pink Floyd, dare I say, looking at a band like Rush, looking at I I didn't see that same evolution. Oh. As I went through their catalog, I heard a lot that repeated itself over the course of time. Okay. Well, on that difference of sound, 
this is the sound of you know rolling stones that is kind of almost laughable but from like 80 to 87 they really got into a disco groove yes which they hit late i mean 80 to 87 yeah. disco was dying and somehow they scooped that up and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that was really like for me that was my exposure to them my first exposure right. to them because i had older sisters who didn't listen to the stones and my parents weren't listening to the stones <laughs> right. so i had to discover them on my own the only way to do that was through radio sure. And, and for, then, yeah, you've got who, right, right. I, like, I don't need that. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, as I looked at this band, to me, this band is a radio and movie band, and not a. I'm going to sit down and slap vinyl on the player, drop the needle, and roll. Like that's my right. aspect of them. I really didn't get much exposure to them until later years outside of the uh, of the mainstream stuff and the mainstream stuff was really overplayed and and I think my take was I could hear these sort of trends that went through and you could put a pin in a song from 62 drop that same pin 10 years later 10 years later and 10 years later and that aspect of it to me I found disappointing as I listened to that whole catalog and by the way I listened to the entire fucking catalog. I'm oh, holding up albums? two sheets of paper of songs that I've at least written down and put little notes on and whatnot. This was a trip to central Iowa and a trip to <laughs> southern Wisconsin to do that research. Uh, I listened to just about the entire catalog. I started getting into the early 90s and I had to start skipping songs because I had been listening to the Stones for like four days straight by that point. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> you will get burned down <laughs> yes. on it a little bit. And, and I did. I did. And that's not fair to them. I would have to say, like, that's an interesting take that you have because of the, the lens of which you were shown the Rolling Stones was either through radio and they were playing their, you know, they weren't quite classic rock because they were still supporting these disc albums like tattoo you and other things like that and those are disco albums you know they're not it's not their best work i made a comment here i think i think i'd learned to read from the liner notes of beggar's banquet honest to god i think i do because i spent so much time with that fucking album i was i remember six seven years old it was those two albums beggar's banquet and goodbye yellow brick road because those are the ones that my father listened to almost all the time and then of course made in the shade was their best hits like i've I've been like steeped in the stones forever and so for me i grew up on this shit like their early shit for like this stuff like from 68 to 78 like stuff like that like a six-year-old kid should not be seeking out the rolling stones but yet, there they were right in front of me, and that's all I had to lit. You know, it's not it's what I listened to. Sure. And for all me, the time. I, I did know that early stuff. And, and, and no, that, of course you that did. also was, as I listened to it, I said, I know this band. I know. Yeah, of course. As I go through those first six or seven albums, and all six or seven of them sound pretty similar, but all six or seven of them, I'm going, okay, all right. They, they begin to evolve a little bit at, when they get to the Let It Bleed album. There was a lot of songs that I heard that weren't necessarily radio popular, but I was also big into classic rock when I was in yeah, middle man, school. Everybody so, had the Hot Rocks album. So right? everything, I had no Rolling Stones album. I've never owned one. 
Not one. Not a greatest hits, nothing. I've never had a Rolling Stones album. Fuck. Somebody get on the phone. We found one. I've never had a Rolling Stones <laughs> the album. The only one in the world that I doesn't guess. have Stones I guess. Album. But I knew so many of these songs. I've showed you these sheets. There's 40, 50 songs written on here that are all something that I either recognized, I have... A, so a, just off of that alone, from 65 to, I would say, 80, you probably have a list of 30, 40 songs in there that you know, and just because you know, you're not even a fan of them, you've never owned an album, but you know them, that is a monument. Can you say that about any other band? Is that because they're good, or is that because they got the system working in their favor that put them out in the radio atmosphere well, because listen, that was my exposure to no it. no more dick riding going on in the music industry than the Beatles. I don't have a problem agreeing to that, but that doesn't change the fact that that doesn't make, because I know it doesn't make it good. That's my question. There's a lot let's, of music out there go, that I know that I don't know is good just because I know it. All right. That's a hot take. I've got a few of them. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot take. I got a few. Are of them. the Rolling Stones really that good? That's the hottest take I've heard. Of. <laughs> I'll stand by it. <laughs> okay. All right. You mentioned. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, so during the disco time, obviously heavily like steeped in cocaine, the band starts to break apart. Mick Jagger does that. Crazy solo career. Oh my god! With the, the video with David Bowie. Yeah. If you've ever, if you haven't seen this yet, there there is of multiple versions of this out there. I'm sure, but there's one where they take all the audio away and they add in like little sounds, <laughs> and it's fucking priceless. Yeah. So he was destined and determined to make a solo career. Keith Richards wanted to make his own solo career. Actually, Keith Richards' solo stuff's not bad. Wicked as it seems. How can I? like that song not bad i remember that when it came out yeah and it had a groove i like his singing voice yeah i like the way he you know he puts that song together it's not all that different from the stone song which makes sense because he was a primary writer for the stones you put his voice behind it and it just changed it a little bit i thought wicked as it seems was a great tune i like keith richard's solo stuff but you can see like the, the the visual disintegration of this band nowhere was it more clear during live aid Mick Jagger did his own solo shit, and then Woods and Keith backed up Bob Dylan. And, like, it was noticeable. It was like, well, why aren't they fucking playing together? You know, like, because they can't fucking stand each other. Right. Like, they hate each other. Really. And, like, that's the one thing that's kind of plagued them for years is, like, Mick and Keith don't get along. They hate each other. And they've kind of put that to rest. It's like, we're like brothers. We've seen enough of each other, right? I'll see you for two hours on stage, and I can go and sing in the same mic that you can. But, really, I'm fucking done. I get it. 60 years. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, you've been up each other's ass for 60 years. That's a long time. You know, and you're trying to go through divorces, addictions. Very public shit. Pressure from I mean, record companies. Yeah. All the other things that dump on a band of this size. Yeah. I absolutely tip my cap to them for the fact that they don't see each other on stage, take their guitars off, and use them like battle axes yeah. on each other. <laughs> but you also mentioned, like, this is a movie band. Scorsese. Scorsese oh, was a huge yeah. fan of the Stones. Yeah. 
And there, I'm sure we're going to talk about some songs that ended up in some of his movie scores. And they are iconic moments and iconic scenes. And the music complements the scenes so well. Yeah. I really like when the stones have been used for these kinds of things. This Again, the- I am not slamming on the no, stones. No. <laughs> I like this is the crazy much thing about of this that. music. The stones are all over cinema. Right? All over. And, right, they get paid for that. And there are bands out there, like Led Zeppelin is notorious for not wanting its music in, in, in movies. No sure. Until, how much you fucking offer. Until Cadillac comes knocking. And then they sell out like a heartbeat. But that's the thing. Like, like the, like the guy, uh, it was Cameron Crowe who made Almost Famous, and he wanted to use um, Yesterday. And they made him come to London and say, like, sit down, show me the film, show me the part of the film that's going to go into specifically we want to know. And then they gave their blessing. U2 doesn't let their music into movies. But I'm thinking to myself, it's like, but the Rolling Stones do. They're not hard up for cash. They're smart businessmen. There's got to be money in it. Like I wonder oh, why. Sure I wonder why the Stones decided to do it, and these other big bands who could use them, like I mean, use the money, but use the exposure. But like, why are they so fucking tightwadded about putting their money in, putting their music into music? And I can only think it's like, well, they probably think they're giving up some sort of creativity. Like they don't want the vision to go with the song. That or, that's like you know, maybe, and I don't know that this is the reason. But think about a movie that you saw twenty or thirty years ago that you rewatched today, and you go, "Wow, that didn't age well." And maybe the management of those bands that said no said, maybe. "We don't want we don't want this to happen." But that would be awfully prescient for for someone in the yeah, that's, in that's, the late seventies or early eighties to go. Well, you know, in twenty twenty, if this comes out, you know, yeah. people watch this, and it's the scene where it doesn't go over well because of current culture. I don't know, but I have to say, the best the best use of a Rolling Stone uh, song in a movie. Remember the movie Nighthawks. Sylvester Stallone, Billy D. Williams. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, so good. He plays a New York City detective hot on the trail of Rutger Hauer, who is an international terrorist. And so this guy, uh, they have a sketch of what Rutger Hauer looks like, and he's in Manhattan, and they know it, and he's in the dance clubs, and Brown Sugar is playing in the dance clubs, and Sly like takes the sketch, and he like erases the beard off the sketch, and he looks to D. Williams, and he's like, what do you think of this? What if you took the beard off? And he's like, because that is standing right over there. <laughs> it was It's a fucking great scene, and Brown Sugar plays behind it. I love that. I'm putting that on the list to watch oh, next. Oh, Nighthawks is fan-fucking-tastic. Sly at his best. Yeah, this was the original boy band, although yeah, I guess the Beatles were the original Beatles boy the, band. The, the, and frankly, weren't they all boy bands back then? Like they were music. all young I mean, males sort of doing this thing that churns up yeah, the audience. They, I mean, Paul Revere and the Raiders right. and, the, and uh, you know, Herman's Hermits and shit like that. And they're all, they all did that mold of the boy band shit. The Beatles capitalized off it the most. I would sure. agree. They were the first. These guys were nipping at their heels by a few years. But I think they liked the bad boy image that they kind of fell Absolutely. upon. They're like, this works for me. This yeah. feels good. Yeah. I like this. And that they ran with it, and that's why I love the Stones so much because they're, to me, they're like the Beatles with the girl band, and the you know the the Rolling Stones were kind of like the "We'll Kick Your Ass" band. I have a very random question for you, okay. and I'm not sure why no, I thought I don't of this. Like the start of this. Oh, this is this is this is <laughs> go ahead. This is easy cheesy. Who's shorter, Jagger, Bono, or Tom Cruise? Oh, Bono. I would say Bono. I would say Bono, then Cruz, then Jagger. Well done. Yeah. Jagger is 5'10. Bono is 5'6. Cruz is 5'7. 
Cruz is 5'5". Five, five. You know it. <laughs> well, he's got those elevators But in Bono somewhere. wears those boots. All, <laughs> uh, we had a, a couple of friends of ours in college that um, got tipped that where the where you two was staying after their show in college. This was years and years ago. They went down there and they met him in the lobby, the hotel lobby. And the, the one thing, they were diehard fans. And the one thing they remarked was like, yeah, I wish I didn't meet him. I didn't realize he was that small. <laughs> like he came up to their shoulders. <laughs> The Stones won three Grammys on 12 nominations, but there was a handful of records that were inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I don't know, into the Grammy Hall of Fame and I believe into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. By the way, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989. Early, very early. Pete Townsend. I used to like Pete Townsend. Yeah. I used to like him. Just cannot explain some of that shit array. Get through the whole pictures of kids thing. Uh, yeah. That's doing just, research. Yeah, doing research on a book that never okay. fucking came out. Okay. They've got You will never hear the Who on this podcast. No, no we are not talking about the Who. <laughs> Can't do which it. Which irritates me because yeah. I love Townsend's solo career. Sorry. It's good stuff, but can't listen to it. Anyhow, 25 million monthly listeners on Spotify. I thought that was kind of low. Sounds low. Of the bands that we've talked about recently, and that's all I'm thinking about because it's all I can remember back to. I think the Foos had 20. I don't remember. Who did we do before Aerosmith. that? We did Aerosmith. I think Aerosmith. I don't remember what Aerosmith I was. I don't care. Do I, I don't know that it matters. <laughs> the lips and tongue logo is reportedly influenced by the Hindu goddess Kali the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Who, as I look through the images, she pretty much has her tongue out in most of them. Yeah, badass, dude. Right? She looks like an ass kicker. <laughs> badass. <laughs> I heard it. Uh, so my father, so talking about his little Stones fan, he was I, I, when I was a child in our garage. He, had, I don't know where the fuck he got it from. It was an eight by eight piece of plywood that it was the Rolling Stones lips that was painted on it, and it said the Rolling Stones on it, and I'm like. I think he still has it, too. I'm like, where the fuck did you get that from? I think that is an iconic logo. It's fantastic. Name another band that's got a logo like that besides Van Halen. I hearken to Pink Floyd, but I'm thinking of Dark Side of the Moon. That's an album cover. That's not a logo. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on because, I, you know, I'm getting... <laughs> you getting antsy over yeah, there? I'm getting antsy. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we will kick it off with your honorable mention. I'm going to give you an honorable mention... But just know that there's a caveat, there's a footnote to the honorable mention that I will get to later when we're done with our list. Okay. Okay? And the honorable mention goes to the song Angie. Angie, I still love you. Rolling Stones is not known for their ballads. This is one of the best kind of versions of a ballad, like the best example of a ballad that I can, you know, that you could point to. It's fucking awesome. It is such a timeless song. He's here sitting, he's a mere billionaire, still singing Angie in his latest set, talking about when will the clouds all disappear? We have no money in our coat. Did you remember those times? Remember? It's just like, it's a timeless message. Like he just, it's so grounded in like everybody who listens to that song can be like, yeah, exactly. I know exactly what he's talking about. His poetry in it awesome. is very, very good. 
we've talked about bands, especially Aerosmith, digging into the libidinous aspects of rock and roll. Yeah. And the Stones do it a lot. Sure they do. A lot. He doesn't do it in this one. Uh-uh. And he doesn't do it in others. And I like that. Yeah, I like that aspect. It, of it, it. It, I like that it's not all one note a, relative to that message coming through. It's a straight love song, and I like the the like the most painful lyric. It's like no one can say we didn't try. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. It's such good. the The best part of this song is the keys on it. Now, again, the keys for Rolling Stones songs don't really usually make it to the forefront, but the piano work on this specific track is like the it's like the spinal column that everything attaches to it and it's so good if you listen just to this song listen to the keys underneath you can hear it just tinkling but it's not just tinkling like he's he's doing like other things like we're bringing the guitar and the lyrics because mick is hitting certain keys and his vocals that bring it all together so good so good i do like the keys in this i like the keys in some of their other songs too and it's not something that they have on on every track where you've got to have you know we got a keyboardist we got to use them they they kind of they added here and there yeah if it wasn't there the song would not be the same right but in another remarking thing on this is like it's not because mike mick jagger's got a great voice mick jagger's not a good singer no and i have that in my notes as well yeah he's not a good singer his conviction to every lyric is evident and that's why like when you hear him scraping around for every little best little bit of melody to come out of his voice that's him trying to like um, intonate his emotion or his tone or something like that he's not a good singer he's very much like jim morrison jim morrison was a crooner right yeah a crooner with a lot of edge yeah, which and differentiates Mick, him from you know Michael got, Buble. But yeah, but Mick's got a Mick's got a edge on his voice too. That, yeah, that he's not a great singer, but he knows like and and he's like he's not a great dancer either. Uh, well, come on. Man. <laughs> All right, my honorable mention. You talk about piano. This is one of the things that pulled me in on this song. It's off of 1967's Their Satanic Majesty's Request, and it's She's a Rainbow. Love this. I love the opening piano on this. Yeah. There's a lilt to this song. The piano just gives it this playful vibe. Yeah. And it's very atypical of a Stone song. 100%. Very atypical. Yeah, you won't... Not a song like this. This is another song that's less lascivious than yeah. than some of their other ones, right? And, and I think that plays into this playful vibe. It, it almost has a little bit of a trippiness to it, and you could probably under the influence of whatever, listen to this song and not under the influence and go, wow, I had two totally different experiences with this. (laughs) The strings were arranged by John Paul Jones. Oh, yeah. Of Led Zeppelin fame. Zeppelin formed a year after this song was released, and apparently Jones was doing session work before then. The Stones brought him in, and he arranged the strings. Wow. My complaint about this song is the commercialization of it and that it got a little overplayed, right? Apple used it in the 90s. Acura and Dior used it in 2018. Adobe Photoshop used it in 2020. That kind of buried it a little bit, which is why it's as low as my honorable mention. Hey, I get it. Make money while you can. 
I don't have a problem with that. You remind me of a, a guy I used to work with who was a, a drummer, and he used to, I used to argue with him all the time. I'm like, well, you charge for your concerts. You're trying to make money off your music. No, man, no, that's not it. It's the business of the music. I'm like, no, no. You're in it. Like, otherwise, stay inside your garage and play your fucking drums in the garage right. and don't charge anybody anything if it's just for the music. If you had a hit song, you would commercialize it for millions of dollars and suck all you can out of that because that's your creation. And if you didn't, you're a fool. You're a sucker. You're a fool. That's right. I completely agree. <laughs> the, the whole bullshit about, oh, they sold out. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what the business is for. That's, that's why you're right. doing it. Otherwise, Metallica would be playing a free part, uh, free in the concert. Right, right. Fuck out of here. All right, what's your number five? Okay. The, number five, my number five was all the way up at the top. It was, I had to make space. It's from 1981. It's the Disco Stones. This is not the Disco song, but it's off of Tattoo You, and it's uh, Waiting on a Friend. This video was in heavy release when I was in my prime MTV days, and I did not like it. I didn't like the song then. It was a fuck. I'm like, who the fuck are these old guys? Are these the Stones? This is the Rolling Stones? What happened to Satisfaction, Mick? What are we doing here? But as I grew older, Keith Richards' guitar is a vibe. Uh-huh. Like, it's just so mellow. This was a kickback song for me. And when I was listening to the catalog and I got to that album, I knew I was going to know more on that yeah. than maybe some other ones. And I heard waiting on a friend, and I just kind of, I kind of did the head bob, yeah. a little bit of a grin. It's a lake I, too. I've got stars. <laughs> yeah, I've got stars next to stuff that I like, and and other things next to stuff I don't. And it's, it may not make my list, but I dig that too. Yeah, the tinkling ivory, and you know, Mick just—it's a song. It's a simple song about friendship. Uh-huh. It's not about girls. It's not about you know the you know the other rock and roll stuff. It's not about you know revolution or anything. It's just about like. I'm just waiting right here for my friend. We're going to go out. Yep. The sax solo at the end is fucking banger. They brought in a guy who is a jazz musician. I think he worked with Miles Davis. Guy comes in and actually fucking kills it. It's great. And they could have gone that Phil Collins aspect and made it like wham sound. The, the 2D. Yeah, 2D sax. <laughs> you know, 2D like, sax. like Glenn Fry. Nah, dude, this guy's also. By the way, listen to our, Glenn, our Eagles episode before someone takes it down because there's a 10 minute rant on Glenn Fry that's fucking awesome. <laughs> But this sol- this sax solo in this song, I agree. It's 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 on the cusp of like if they would have taken it another three steps in that direction, it probably would have failed badly. But they didn't. Not this dude. They held it back, and yeah. it just it has that sort of that sort of groove to it that 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 made you kind of yeah. All right. I'm kicking myself now because I'm like I really should put his name down and I didn't. I'm kicking myself now. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's like sliding into a nice you know a nice glass uh, of bourbon. That's <laughs> great. So yeah, waiting on a friend. I love this too. I grew older, man. I just I want to be mellow now. Well, you know, and, and one of these you know? things as as we've done and, and waiting on a friend for me, waiting on a friend <laughs> means a lot. <laughs> Fucking Kirk is never ready for anything. For the record, no, just uh, you were thirty minutes late tonight. <laughs> I was proving a point. 
But speaking of like as you grow older and how you listen to things and it changes, what I've discovered as I've listened to our older episodes, our previous episodes, because I'm a fucking narcissist and I want to hear the <laughs> sound of my own voice. <laughs> and I like to hear what I've done right and wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna table it that way at least. Uh, but you listen to songs and you listen to catalogs and I'll, I'll listen to what I picked as my top five and go, wow, really? I, I picked that? Because we've done enough of these over so many, <laughs> over three years that I've forgotten what I picked. And I'm like, oh, wow, I picked that. I, I tore the snow dog, man, on my fifth fucking from Rush. It's a great fucking song. <laughs> but it's weird how you like listen to a catalog and... You know, it takes, I, I think for both of us, we do the research over the course of a good week. And that might be a shitty week for you. That could change the, the steering on, on what you end up with a selection. You have a, like a, just get off of a week's vacation. You're, you're easy and relaxed. You'd probably change the list a little bit. I don't know. For some bands, I knew what my top were and the others were variable. For other bands, they were all variable, i.e. Aerosmith with the exception of... Sweet emotion. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, interesting little side note on our project. This is just your self-actualization. That's right. <laughs> you're, 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 you're almost close to claiming Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my number five is off of Goat's Head Soup in 1973. The song is Do 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 Do, also known as Heartbreaker. The police in New York City Chased a boy right through the park In a case of mistaken identity They put a bullet through his heart I like the Stones protest songs a lot. I really do. Sing it, brother. And I think this is, if you were going to talk about the impact of Richards and Jagger, this is where the rubber hits the road. Not necessarily just this song. This is a great example of it. But this, to me, is where the Stones shine, where you take a simple guitar and that's very much along the Neil Young style, right? Neil Young wrote great protest songs. Yep. Simple guitars, simple musicians, musicianship, coupled with a lyrical message that has meaning. It's not hidden. The police in New York City. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Call, yeah. Calling you out. Jagger, Jagger said, quote, New York is a violent place and America is a heavy-handed police state, period. And he was fucking right. He sings about police shooting the wrong guy and a young girl dying of a drug overdose. Yep. And it's packaged in a way that I just really liked. It's heartbreaking. I really liked this song. Yeah. It is a heartbreaker. That's right, man. It works. Yeah. Good energy to this song. All right, number four. What do you have? Probably the dirtiest guitar work of their catalog. Off of Let It Bleed, Can You Hear Me Knocking? This is my number two. Okay. You want, we can table it? No, no, no. I'm sorry. This is also my number four. Oh, look at that. This is also my That's number That's a rarity four. around these pots. <laughs> yeah.
the very opening. This guitar riff smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Just the riff. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah. And it's so simple. And this is something about Richards that irritates me. <laughs> <laughs> he like, writes these simple fucking riffs and somehow it's the it sound, works. Man. It's the sound he gets out of the guitar. Yeah. It's the rhythm he gets out of it. That riff, they were. this is my favorite riff from him. Dirty. It's so dirty. Yeah. And it's so it's, awesome. It's Satisfaction, but Satisfaction was cleaner because yeah. that was back in 65. This is 71. You're not fucking around anymore. I love this riff. Mm-hmm. And I love this song. Sorry, I'm totally no, taking no, your No, 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 it's your turn. This is a long song at over seven minutes. And Jagger is done by two minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Which turns it into an, an instrumental jam. And the instrumental jam is great. Normally, I, you know me, I usually fade it out. I'm astonished this is on your list because it has that much instrumental in it. Charlie Watts. Brings home that that dude's a fucking magic man on the skins. It's a combination of congas, guitar, and saxophone that that pull this all together. It's like Santana and Greg Allman had sex and created (laughs) Jesus and created Created. this jam. And I don't like Santana. Santana jam. Yeah, it's (laughs) Santana. New product. Let's, <laughs> we're going to have that in the meeting tomorrow. Comes with a pearl necklace. Santana Jam. <laughs> I, don't, I don't particularly care for Santana, but Santana mixed with that bluesy almonds sort of southern rock sound is what they do here. And it, it's long, and it's all based on that Richards riff, and it's it keeps you engaged. I think this is a great song. It's crazy stuff. Oh, it's great. Really good. Andy Warhol designed the album cover. This is off of Sticky Fingers in 1971. Oh, yeah, I had that wrong. And it's uh, an iconic album cover with a pair of jeans with a well-hung gentleman inside. Of and a working zipper. <laughs> and a working zipper on the vinyl. And it. they came to, I think Jagger came to Warhol and said, hey, we're, we're kind of getting under pressure here for... You know, getting this album out, you got to make it something simple enough that we can screen print this. Warhol came back with this and said, no, no, it's got to have a working zipper on the cover. And they did it. Yeah. That's an awesome, awesome move. A lot of people. That's a flex. Yeah. Forever people thought it was Jagger, that they thought model, the model in the jeans was Jagger. (laughs) It turned out to be a friend of Warhol's. Oh, that's good good stuff. I'm glad that's on your list because. I really, really enjoyed that song. When I heard it again, I was like, oh, it's yeah. in a, I think it's in Casino. It's in Casino right? and also Blow. Yeah, that's right. It's in folks. George, we are brothers. <laughs> All right, that brings us to our number threes. What do you have at number three? It's another one shot straight to the top of the list for me, but I had to peg it down a little bit. But I just absolutely I love this song. I, I adore it. It's uh, Tumbling Dice. Probably heard this song a thousand times. I couldn't tell you what the fucking lyrics are. Yeah, but I always sing along. It's great. <laughs> you no, know, I always sing along to it. 
I love it when mixed voice is overdubbed with itself mm-hmm. when he when he runs into the chorus. It's fucking bad. It's just an awesome song. Yeah, I love it. I saw Tumbling Dice. I listened to it as I did the research. My brain always goes back to Linda Ronstadt. Linda Ronstadt's yeah. version. No, I know. And we talked about her in a previous episode. The which, Eagles, probably. The Eagles episode. Yeah. So if you want to hear the the Linda Ronstadt version, go listen to our Eagles episode. It's her version is fantastic. It's fantastic. It's very much different than the Stones version. It is. And I did kind of have that kind of like, well, it's, if I had to pick, if I had to pick, if I if they said like so you're going off to an island, you can only have one of these versions. I'd have to take the Stones, it's the original, and I love it. It's um, great. I love the Electric Hyde version of it, and I love mix mix whatever the fuck he's talking about. If he's actually a gambler, or you're <laughs> taking a gamble on me, I don't know what it is. I just love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of the song too. You know, Richard's work, you know, the um, kind of almost harmonizing with mixed voice, with that twangy kind of guitar sound. Again, like it comes down to the engineering. And the engineering is not just the engineer, it's Mick and Keith. And I got to think it's like Keith because he's the instrumentalist. I think it's him in the studio saying, like, no, we have to make it sound like this. And like every guitar sound on these songs is different, it's a little bit different every single time. And I think that's. That's the kind of the nuance that I pick up, and there's there's definitely a twangy kind of like countryfied version of his rockabilly in, in this song that I really I really love it. Yeah. All right, that brings us to my number three. Run on one more time. Uh, so it turns out that my number three ends up being Nick's number one, and as he just told me, the narcissist and Nick would like a big reveal for his number one. So what you have here is two fucking narcissists that can't. Stand, not stand hearing the sound of their own voice, which is why on a Friday night we're in his fucking basement talking to each other through microphones. So we are going to skip Nick's number three and we are moving on. I'm sorry, we are going to skip Lord. my number three and it's time for the fantasy concert lineup. This is going to be a tough one. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, I don't have anything overly special. Go ahead. All right. I looked at the Stones and I said, I want to hear something that kind of falls in that same vein. And I want to hear something a little more modern that kind of matches with it as well. So my first band falls in that early vein. We're going to see a band that as I looked at their catalog again, I rattled off five or six songs that I actually really liked. And the band is The Animals. House of the Rising Sun. Okay. Don't let me be misunderstood. I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. It's my life. We got to get out of this place. Me and you. 
lot of good songs, man. Great songs. Eric Burden was the vocalist, and he was fucking bad. Great. And I think it would be a ton of fun to see these guys live. Okay, yeah. Especially in that the prime. In that prime yeah. era. Let's get into that. Where he really can dig it in. Oh, yeah. Like, He's tweaked on whatever, <laughs> and he is just rolling. <laughs> And he had a great voice. He had a real edge to it that kind of came through, and he also was able to sustain, you know, a little more melodic note. I like the way they wrote songs. Yeah. I think this would be a fun band to see, especially in that, you know, early 70s-ish time frame, mid-70s. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. You're right. They got a good catalog. And then to go for something a little more modern, and it might feel like it matches, it might not. I want to see the Black Keys. Gold on the Ceiling, fantastic song. They've got a handful of other ones that are really good. And these guys are, I think, a trio or even a duo. I, I only can picture two guys when I've seen them play. But they're out now and they're they're playing and I, I would like to see them. So I feel like that kind of gives you a taste of the old and a taste of the new. And you can kind of mesh them together. All right, what version of the Stones do you want to see, though? Do you want to see Mick in his white jumpsuit and knee pads? I want to see a smattering from across time. I oh. want to see some of the 60s. I want to see some of the 70s. Give me a good sh- good hard dose of that coked out 80s with uh, you know, some of the steel wheels, tattoo you era stuff. Dirty work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember that yeah. album cover? It was neon blue and they were all wearing like different neon colored suits. Oh yes, you yes, yes. Body, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, I want I what want a, a smattering album. from that. I can't. The really... '90s Stones, not bad, not a bad look. Eh, it was all right. Yeah, you know, I, I really moved on in music in the '90s. Well, I and, know that, but know. they didn't. They were there. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. <laughs> they didn't move on. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> all right. Who is in your fantasy concert lineup? Okay, so I want Beggars Banquet Stones. Okay, <laughs> I mean, in the depths of it all but still able to hold it together for two and a half hours to come out and just give a monster set where I think Keith Richards is still plugging in his guitar and giving it his all as much as he could. Sure. That's that's the stones that I want to see. But I tried to pair him with a band or a an artist that had a very long career and showed, in my mind, because you pissed all over this earlier, in my mind, the transformations of a band, kind of like the Rolling Stones, had many different transformations through their lives. And I wanted a, an artist that did the same thing, that could give me the same kind of stuff. And a longer career, too. We never got to see him, and he's gone now, David Bowie.
I want every fucking instance of David Bowie too. I want oh, Starman. So many iterations. I want them all. Talk about evolution of I an artist. Yeah. I mean, a true artist who is a musician, but also a performance. He's just, he was stunning. Yeah. I'm sure he'll come, uh, he have his own episode later. And then I, I'm, I'm going to bring on this one band for one song, for one song specifically, because now the Stones have been sampled many times over from, you know, for, for hip hop artists, uh, the Stones are a rich treasure trove. But I never heard Sympathy for the Devil sampled quite this way. was a band that had one album, near as I could tell, in 1993. They did a cover of Buffalo Springfield's Something Happening Here, but they sampled the screech and howl in Sympathy for the Devil, and they played it under as almost like a like a rhythmic in- instrument. And I always thought that was really cool, and they should come out and do it for our crowd in the Stones. The band is called the Candy Skins, sorry. But that's just one song, so I'm going to kick them off. And then I happened to see this. This band had this similar type of vibe that I really, really liked, and I never really saw them perform live. I know some of their songs, and I like them. They were at Lollapalooza just last weekend, and Hulu plays Lollapalooza you know, live for okay. old guys like me, like, sure. I don't want to go to the fucking show. <laughs> but this guy looked like he could really run an audience of 60,000 people. He was having a lot of fun. I'd like to see the 1975. So there you go. I'm, I'm a fan of them too. And I'm just now kind of starting to be exposed to them even. Mm-hmm. I haven't had the opportunity to pick them up or I haven't reached for them. Your brother actually talked, started talking about them a few years ago. Yeah, he's seen them a couple times up in Milwaukee. As I've heard more of them, I've been like, oh, these guys are pretty good. They're good. It's a good tight band. And, he, and the lead singer uh, seems like he's having a lot of fun up there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that brings us to your number two. What do you have? My number two, sat at number one for a long time, man. It's a towering anthem. You were talking about their protest music being their best. And this is a great example of it. It's Street Fighting Man in 1968. released just after the Beatles released Revolution. And Revolution number nine was kind of asking the question, is like, hey man, you want a revolution? Just, you know, know what you're getting yourself into. And Street Fight Man comes out and it's like, fuck that. Now's the time for marching, charging feet. 
We're going to fuck, fucking fight in the street. I yeah. love it. I just love the fucking attitude about it. The time is right for a palace revolution. Awesome. It's a great protest song. It's great. And in August of 1968, this yeah. was released. Vietnam was going on. When I introduce like this time period in American history to my students, I often say like 1968 is the year that everything went wrong. Everything, right? Kennedy was shot. King was shot. And Vietnam was at its height. Everything was going wrong. And everything was going wrong in Europe, too. Paris, London, Czechoslovakia. It's all going to shit. I played this song for my students. And I there's there's a great... Uh, I think it's Rolling Stones, actually, do it. Their, their YouTube channel has uh, a bunch, maybe 20 of their songs, that they, they have it professionally done where they, they play the song and then they visualize the lyrics. And they're, they're really awesome. They're yeah. really great videos. And I show them that video. And, like, and a lot of the kids are like, first of all, it's a great fucking song. And the other thing is, like, the visualization that goes along with it is, like, it interests them because it's like, what the fuck? I saw a few of those researching this as well, of those lyrical videos. Really slick ones. Very, very sharp. Yeah. Very sharp. A lot of them were labeled as official, I'm assuming they were. And I did watch the one for this one, and I liked how they did it. Yeah. And it was, uh, that was cool. Drops of paint or drops of blood or whatever it was. Right. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's, I love this tune for that in particular. Apparently, Watts played on a like a a children's drum kit is not the right description but it sounded like a beginner's kit or it it was a drum kit that could fit inside of a suitcase for jazz musicians who traveled was that during the 1930s okay and he found it in an antique store so think of a kid's drum kit because that's how small it was he commented on why they used it because he's like i get closer to keith while he was playing this riff because he was on an acoustic. There are no electrical instruments in this song at all. It was such a great sound because like, you can hear it. Like When you hear his drums, you're like, that is a kid's fucking toy set. It's sure. not a regular kid. Yeah. And again, going back to the engineering that, that they took so much time with, it's like they, they needed to get those sounds right of the guitar. The guitar that Keith Richards used was almost, you could say, it's, it is like a not a professional instrument. It's like a kid's instrument. It has a, a really shitty kind of sound to it. He's like, but no, that's what I wanted. Cool shit, man. Right. Cool shit. Gritty song, gritty instruments. What is it? Brian, Brian Jones comes in with his sitar all fucked up. And it's like, Keith is just like, let him play his sitar. We're, we're recording this on tape, so there's no tracks to it. And it's like, let's let him play his sitar. It's like, he's going to be off in the corner. You're never going to fucking hear it. But you can hear the sitar just a little bit in the background. And he was like, I'm, I'm so ready to tell that guy to fuck off and go home. Well, he did. <laughs> he did. In a bad way. All right. My number two. Off of Tattoo You in 1981, the song is Slave. this one oh it's a great fucking song maybe I, maybe i know it's a great fucking song again this is along those same lines of a riff that drives a song i love this song when it came out and I, I really enjoyed listening to it there's a guitar bass that kind of starts a song in unison and that rhythm really kicks things off yeah well layered vocals in the verses which is also the chorus it's kind of weird like the 
the verse and the chorus are the same. There really is no chorus. There really is no verse. It's just kind of one section of, of vocals that, that run, and then they repeat. He does a little spoken word riffing later, but really the only words to the song are, do it, don't want to be your slave. Mm. I just dig it. Ooh. Great example how the bass line in a song gets you moving. And I'll, I'll give <laughs> even Keith Richards' guitar work is decent. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> give him a credit. There's some dynamic changes through the drums later. They can kind of drop down and bring back up. Once again, I have to bring them up, but Pete Townsend sings the backing vocals on this. Now, you can't really pick them out, so it's really more of a note of interest than of something like, oh, that's Pete Townsend. Something to irritate you with? Right, right. You can't really hear them, so fuck you, Pete Townsend. (laughs) That brings us to your number one. The number one, man. I just, it was undeniable for me. I knew it from the beginning. It was almost like Journey. Like, you knew that song was going to be the number one, but I wanted to give everybody their due, and uh, this one just just came back around. It's just like, this is the number one song. This is Sympathy for the Devil. Me damn sure the pilot Washed his hands And sealed his face Pleased to meet you Hope you guess my name But what puzzling you and this is your number three, I understand. That is and, correct. And you want to talk about protest songs? It's a good one. Here's the thing about Mick Jagger and his lyrics. Look at the song the way that it's written. From Jesus and the Roman prefects expanding out into the Holy Lands. Sure. and Russian Revolution. People. Russian Revolution. World, World War, II. War II. Even he th- even throws in British imperialism in India. Oh, yeah. The Cold War with JFK. Like, he's not fucking around. Right. I'll introduce you to what, what life is really all about. It's war. Yeah. And look, it's 2,000 years of fucking history has all been about fucking war. And I'm loving it because my name is Lucifer. Right? Fucking unfucking believable lyrics, man. There's like, I don't want to hear any of those stands out there for fucking Stairway to Heaven. Great song. It's about the Hobbit. Okay? Yeah. There's a lady that's sure all that glitters is gold. There's a reason that song made my most hated. <laughs> They're not a political band, but when they decide to be, they really come for you. To me, that's where they shine. And they don't do it all the time, which is, I guess, a refreshing breath of air. Right? If it was all protest songs all the time, yeah, right, it right, sound right, like right, Midnight right. Oil. Right. <laughs> And I'm not even sure right. Midnight Oil does protest songs all the I mean, time. He, but how do we sleep while our beds are burning? Yeah. Blue sky mine. <laughs> <laughs> now this this by the, song, way, by the way, he's right and he was right. It's the oil companies that are ruining this fucking planet. <laughs> <laughs> look at look at why. <laughs> Getting back to Sympathy for the Devil, there is so much about this, not just the song, but some of the history around it, some of the statements that have been made about it, some of the impact it had. Mm-hmm. People were up in arms. Oh. oh, or maybe the line: "This is every cop is a criminal, and all the sinners and are all saints. the sinners are saints." Right? Statement after statement. Like, how do you bring in the Hundred Years' War? <laughs> Right, I love that line. I right. watched in glee as your kings and queens fought for ten decades over the gods they made. What? That's fantastic. What? That's good what? poetry. Jesus Christ! That is good poetry, man. Unreal. Jagger came out and he said, "This is about the dark side of man. It's not about the occult." No, it's so <laughs> it's, stupid. It's nothing to do with it. 
that 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 is the perfect example of people who just talk shit out of their ass, right. you know, judging the book by its cover. You listen to the lyrics of the song; it's fucking dead right on all of it. It's like you keep on fucking around down here, and you, all you do is your your solution to everything is war. And it's like, and I'm loving it. This is not what God had in mind, by the way, but I love it. I think Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Richards was like, you know what, fuckers? I'm going to stir the pot here. <laughs> he came out and said, it's an uplifting song. It's a matter of looking the devil in the face. I've had very close contact with Lucifer. I've met him several times. <laughs> <laughs> and Santana, Carlos Santana does not like this song. <laughs> he said, He said they don't really know the full extent of what they're talking about. The devil is not Santa Claus. He's for real. It's completely missed the point guys it's not about fucking satanism completely missed the point i santana can go fucking screw <laughs> go find rob thompson and play smooth oh, rob thomas Jesus whatever Christ. his name is everything is perfect about this song charlie watts's rhythm starts it off oh it's great the bongos the opening bongos and ratchets are just a great way to kick this song off and then the keys come in Baseline drops in a driving thing. It's got a samba beat. I like the off key. The yeah. The original lyrics, because apparently the song took a number of years to write, and it was probably like, you know, I started writing it, and then I stuck it in the in the cabinet, and then I came back a few months later, and I I did a little more. I, I didn't get the impression this was something that they poured away over for years and years and years. But the original lyrics were written when only JFK had been killed. Right. And so the original lyric was, who killed Kennedy? And then RFK was killed. Right. And they had to rewrite the lyrics to who killed the Kennedys. A very subtle change, but an interesting sort of look at how a piece of music that gets written over not days, but years can evolve to accommodate modern events. Such a raw time for Americans. Right. History to put that into one of you know, like the flagship of your beggar's banquet, that's balls, right? And it's just, I remember listening to this song when I was a young kid. Like I said, it was one of the, the albums that was playing constantly around me. And I remember listening to this song, you know, and and like after about like you know you get you get a little bit older and you still hear the song and you're starting to piece these things together. Like who the fuck is this guy talking? To? Who's the narrator? Like, what do you mean? Pleased to meet you. What are you talking about? And then when you be like 12 and 14, like you start to understand it's like, Oh shit. That's, yeah. Oh, and remember when you meet me, have some courtesy, right? <laughs> some sympathy and, and some taste. Some taste. <laughs> Use all your well-earned politeness or polities. Po- yeah. Politeness or it's a weird. Politis. Yeah. Politis. Yeah. yeah. And or I'll lay your soul to waste. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I I love this song. And there's there's every I just listened to it on the car ride over today, and I'm like, yep. That's fucking awesome. Locked one my, in. One of my favorite songs ever. All right. That brings me to my number one. This is off of 1969's Let It Bleed. And the song is Gimme Shelter. This to me is their quintessential protest song. Yeah, the angst and the edge 
and the storm is raging. The storm is raging, Fuck and yeah. this is in no small part to Mary Clayton, who is the backing yeah. vocalist on. And we'll talk about her in a second. To me, this song felt different from their normal catalog up until that point, yep. and that may not be a totally fair statement. And maybe it's the fact that he did bring in Mary Clayton to sing the backing vocals on it, and he put her out front, and he should have, mm-hmm. and and it works, and, and it makes the song, it brings it to a level that just I don't see from their other stuff, and, and, and that's why it's my number one. The stage direction of her, here's what I want you to sing, rape and murder. Right. <laughs> it's just a shot away. What? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> right. So the, the music was, was written by Richards. Jagger wrote the lyrics. Jagger told NPR he doesn't remember what it's about. But there was a lot happening in 1969. <laughs> so unrest was all around. Mick's harmonica solo in this, by the way, is two notes. <laughs> I heard <laughs> in that NPR interview, he was like, yeah, the harmonica solo's only got two notes. <laughs> I, I did what I did. I was a manage. <laughs> I managed the efficiency of the situation. I mean, I give it to like Nick and Keith whenever you hear them in the interviews. They're very, very self. First of all, they have half a billion dollars, so they can be self-effacing. Right. But they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, we did it. And you know, if you if you like, it, I think Keith Richards said, if you like it, that's great. If you don't like it, piss off. <laughs> so self-effacing. Although interestingly, Lars Ulrich said in a very recent interview. That when they toured, or they were playing a show, I think out in the Bay Area with with the Stones in like 2005, they were kind of waiting in this sort of green roomy area that people would pass through, I guess. And one of the Stones' aides or assistants or whatever came through and said, uh, Mick's going to be rolling through here in a few minutes to go to his trailer to work out. Don't look at him. Don't talk. Yeah. You have to avert your eyes. I thought that was bullshit. Okay. You That's know a how, shit move. You know how paranoid cocaine makes you? <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay. <laughs> There's, there's reasons why we do these things backstage, okay? <laughs> Don't look at me in the eyes because I'll fucking seize your neck like a wild dog. <laughs> Snap it like a twig. <laughs> so getting back to Gimme Shelter, Mary Clayton is the backing vocalist on this. And I, Have you seen 20 Feet from Stardom, the documentary? It's the one I haven't seen. I implore Oh, the background you. singers. The yeah, background yeah, yeah, yeah. singers. Yes, yes. It's a fantastic... If you're, you're mm-hmm. a fan of music, yeah. I'm assuming our listeners are fans of music. Yeah. If you haven't seen this documentary, it was at least nominated for an Oscar, and I think it might have won. It's really good. And they talk to all sorts of different background singers right. from all over music history, and they, they talk to, to like big stars, too. Stevie Wonder, sure. Springsteen, Jagger... They talk to Mary Clayton about this song, and Mary Clayton says, I got a call in the middle of the night. I was in bed with my husband. I was pregnant. I had curlers in my hair, and the phone rang, and it was the director from the studio. She was in L.A., the director from the studio. There's a British band in town, and they want a woman to come in here and, and sing some backing vocals. Can you come? And she's, all right, I guess I'll go down there. And so she goes and she tells the story about going in there. And then they bring in Jagger to talk about his side of it. And he's like, you know, we, this woman comes in with curlers in her hair and we've got this lyric. And we just we just thought it needed to be sung by a woman. And in the documentary, they isolate her vocals out of the song. And it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Rape murder! Woo! 
you know, you do these things at sort of two in the morning and then you come in the next day and you go, bloody hell, that's good. They performed this song maybe during their Super Bowl halftime show in the early 2000s. And I don't think that, I know that she didn't perform this. They brought out Fergie. Fergie belted it out. Did she? And did it proud, yeah. Huh. She's got a hell of a voice too. That brings us to our most hated. I got a few. <laughs> we got a lot here. I got a few. We got a lot here. Settle in. If you need to yeah. take a piss break. You know. <laughs> We're going to go to part two of the podcast. Yeah, right. We're already at an hour 26 on this I counter. see you looking nervously over there. Listen, this is the fucking Rolling Stones, all right? All right, we got to give them time. Do. It's a podcast. People Hang in there, folks. Go. We're going to keep you engaged. <laughs> Unless some guy's on like a 25-mile bike tour, like I'm going to fucking finish this. <laughs> People come and go from podcasts. They That's come right. back to it. All right, You'll come gonna- back. This is the record. This is the pot of record for the Stones. But yeah, what I can't say, do you want me to start? Hit it. Shattered. Number one on my list, too. <laughs> oh my God, it's right there. I can't give it away on 7th Avenue. This town's nowhere in tatters. That's first. <laughs> love and joy and sex and sex and love. Fuck off. What are you Don't doing? The crowd's going up, up, up. What are you doing? <laughs> tons of cocaine. This oh is my the, gosh. This is the disco Mick stone. Jagger should not rap. Oh and that's what he's trying to do in this. Oh my God. Terrible. It's like he recorded that at the upper balcony of the Studio 54 at 4 o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> After a meeting with his Bolivian friend. Yes. I also have She's So Cold. Yep, right here. Too. I'm so happy. <laughs> and the videos really make me hate these things even more because oh. they are just fueled with that same type of energy. Little TNA. She's my little rock and roll. You'll recognize it when I'm you sure hear it. Will. It's there's an obnoxiousness to it that kind of pulls through. A lot of people like this song. Start me up. There 
wasn't a time long ago when we were kids. There was only four, you know, you only got two football games on a Sunday. You got the Bears, and then you got the afternoon game. The afternoon right. game is always a West Coast game. And normally it was a West Coast NFC game, which was the fucking 49ers, because they were constantly winning, and it was a very popular fucking team. And so the kickoff... Don't get angry at your brother because he's a 49er <laughs> fan, and you were a Seattle fan. <laughs> Uh, that was a rough go. At the kickoff, they would always play the as a kind of like tug-in-cheek start me up guy. So stupid. I fucking hate that. I, and now they play it for everything. A classic example of Keith Richards' simplicity on a riff <laughs> yeah. that gets stuck like fucking gum on your shoe. And it's not that good. Yeah. It's two notes. Stop me up. I also had Hang Fire. Right Remember here. That? <laughs> right here. <laughs> In the sweet old country where I come from, nobody ever works. Nothing ever gets done. We're Hang Fire. We're Hang Fire. You know what? Hang Fire. That's the one. What is it? All of a sudden, you're a doo-wop band in 1982. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> Harlem Shuffle. To, to give him credit for that, I kind of was like, I remember this song, and I had to, I had to give a little bomb to it. Come on, come on, come on! Nothing like nothing like a bunch of white Brits singing about the Harlem Shuffle. I have one here that's probably gonna irritate some Stones fans. Let's spend the night together. Disagree. No, doesn't work for me. It's Simpleton City. Okay. I'm 64. They were singing about Let's Spend the Night Together in 1964 when the Beatles were still stroking. It's like, I want to hold your hand. These guys are like, I'm going to spend the night together. So they're talking about Let's Bone. It's still not a good song. Okay. Hot takes left and right. Jesus. All right. Coolest four seconds. I love the chorus for Ruby Tuesday. had that as a contender for this list as well. It's, 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 it's almost like that same tinny drum sound that they got off of Street Fight Man. You know, when he just... Yeah. I have the intro to Honky Tonk Woman. Yep.
Cowbell and the straight drumbeat. I always thought it was bottles. Like, it sounds like a bottle. But either way, I love that. Could be. The ticking of the bottle. That's what yeah. I have here with bottle clicking for Honky Tonk Woman. The 12-string sound on Wild Horses. The sound of that guitar is just, to me, it's iconic. It's full. It's fucking great. It's a full sound. And I'm not one for, like, remakes, but Massey Starr did a remake of Wild Horses. This is a nerdy reference, and I'm just going to throw it out because I used to play the French horn. It's the French horn and can't always get what you want. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. That's one of their best videos, too. When they're like lying around on big pillows and, and Mick has got ruby, ruby red lips singing right into the microphone. <laughs> Never seen it. But yeah, the French horn. I love that. I love that for you. <laughs> that's the only time you're going to be able to say that. Getting to a few covers. I did find some covers that I think you're going to like. <laughs> With the Mazzy Star cover. I will drop the Mazzy Star cover in here. That's a good point. We also have Guns N' Roses covering Sympathy for the Devil for the 1994 movie Interview with a Vampire. Okay, I never heard that one. GNR kind of does it up with a. Well, that would be right around the time that the Stones picked them up to open for them on their, not the Voodoo Lounge tour, but the one before Steel Wheels tour. Steel Wheels? 86, 87, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That'd have been a fun show. Yeah, right? Guns N' Roses pre Appetite? Or like while they were. Right, right as it was coming out, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Here's one that totally surprised me as I was cruising their early catalog. Do you remember the song I'm Free from the Soup Dragons in yeah. 1990? Yes. Yeah. I said I'm free to do what I want any old time. I say love me, hold me, love me, hold me, because I'm free. It's not 
not a Soup Dragon song. Right. It's a Rolling Stones song. Didn't I know that? I thought I did. I, I thought it was a um, Otis Redding song. No, it's a Rolling Stones oh, song. Oh, shit. Okay. And it's, you know, it's okay. I like the Soup Dragons version better. Soup, it's, Dragon. <laughs> soup Dragons really souped it up. It's good. <laughs> and finally, and you're going to love this, Gimme Shelter was covered by none other than the Sisters of Mercy. Ooh. <laughs> and Ooh. it's pure Sisters of Mercy. Whoa, now you've got my interest. <laughs> I feel like driving down to Eden's right now and just <laughs> having a couple of Have drinks. A pitcher. <laughs> Speaking of Sisters of Mercy, do you want more? Yeah, man. I got away from the Stones a lot I because, you know, they've fallen into that classic rock and they only play the same five fucking songs on, you know, whatever, you know, where, wherever you're at, like a picnic or a barbecue or whatever, whatever playlist is. But they're so deep. This catalog is deep, deep, deep. Paint in Black is awesome. Get off my cloud. I love that fucking tune. So, yeah, I haven't heard these songs in a long time, and I'm putting them on the list. All right. There's, like, Emotional Rescue. Emotional Rescue. It's a good song. Me? I'm good on the Stones. I don't need any more Stones. I, I like when I when I get exposed to them in a movie or whatnot. I'm good with that. It was fun to kind of dibble through this list. I'm good with them. I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> was it the flick of the pen yeah. when I did that? <laughs> it's the flick of the pen, like just dismissing the most iconic rock and roll band of all time. <laughs> No, All right. I'm done. I'm going to take <laughs> another done. hot another hot take with you. Did they move music forward? The Rolling Stones are music. Completely disagree. I'll tell you where they move music forward. Listen. listen. I'll tell All you right, where they I'm, move music forward. I just about had enough for this. I'm, I'm going to stop this right here. <laughs> You're going to throw okay. the microphone across the face. I'm going to stop this right here. You are not going to sit here and disparage the Rolling fucking Stones and tell me that they didn't move music forward? I'm about to tell you where they moved music forward. They brought blues to the masses. They brought blues to the forefront. When these guys were in high school, they didn't have access to blues records because there was some controls in place in London and, and certain things were allowed for import and export. And whatever, whatever the case it was, I don't know the entire story behind it. But the reason that Mick and Keith hooked up, and they actually went to like daycare together, they didn't really reconnect until like late right. high school. Mick saw Keith carrying a handful of blues records, and Mick was a fan as well. So that's how they, they really connected. They brought the bad boy image and they brought, fa- they brought fashion. Those I, I'm not tying to music. You can't put that to music. You can certainly say it's part of a musical overall picture, 
Now, this is completely unexpected, so I don't have this all thought out in my own head. The Rolling Stones, what you have just dismissed as fashion and an image, and that's not part of music, is so... It's just so limited. So take, well, so let me, kid, no, let let me, me throw my... an example at you. Go back to Pink Floyd. No fashion, no real image. Mm-hmm. Pure music. Mm-hmm. No real image? Not really. Come on. A bunch of stoners with long hair with, with the lights off on stage and lasers going out. And, That's and part of an image. It is, but it's not their view. You're not looking at them. They're not creating that image. I'm not going to argue that point with you. What I'm going to tell you is, first of all, there are many other bands doing blues stuff, too. Cream was doing it. Uh, the Birds were doing it. Like, they were popular bands. They were as popular as the Stones at the time. And by the time that the, the that they kind of jumped off, like, the Stones have departed from the blues. So, you know, Sticky Fingers and and Sympathy for the Devils, that's not really bluesy music. Anyhow, here's, here's how they move music forward. This is why they're one of the most important bands, if not the most important band in, in rock history, is because they were the band that had the balls to stand out on stage and sing the things that they sang about. Those lyrics, that all those protest songs that we talked about, the sympathy for, the, they took the arrows for all of them. They took all the bullshit for everybody and they still said, fuck you, we're going to do it again. And if you don't like it, we're going to come to your town and do it. That's rock and roll. And everybody else watching that was like, I want to be just like Mick. Why? Not because he's a great singer, not because he's a great musician, because he's got balls. That's rock and roll. I'll give him that. And that's how, that's he influenced, the whole band influenced a whole two or three generations of of kids who were just like, yeah, they're badass. They're badass. I want to do that. I'll I'll give you that. So so to me, like Gene Simmons doesn't want to be Kiss until he watches the Stones. He's like, yeah. That's a fair point. I want that. And I think that's the MVP then. Balls. Yeah, absolutely. I had swagger. Yeah. What did Material Issue sing? I want Rod Stewart's hair and Keith Richards' swagger. Great tune. I love that song. <laughs> I love that band. Yeah, yeah, right. Rankings, skill. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lowball him here. I'm putting him at two and a half. I I think I think I think the drums are are basic. I think the bass is basic. I think Keith Richards is a highly overrated guitar player, but a very good songwriter. I think Jagger is a is a very good lyricist. So let's let's move him to a to a, a, you don't have to, a three. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm I'm talking myself through this. I'm gonna move that to a three. All right. Okay. I have a mode of four point five. Okay. Charlie Watts is one of the best jazz drummers in the modern history. And he just happened to find himself in a rock and roll band. Yeah. And he, I think he. I know a lot of people really love Charlie Watts. I just didn't hear a lot out of him. That's, yeah. I mean, and I I agree with what you're saying about Keith, but as far as like the songwriting goes, that's part of their talent. And songwriting is, in my mind, some of the best shit. And, uh, you know, they had some really, really skilled, um, you know, Mick Taylor, Ron Wood, those guys are fucking. It brings me to their catalog, and this is why I ding the songwriting. I didn't hear that much difference from A to Z. I really didn't. I, I mean, you 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 heard a little bit of the genre change. You heard some of the changes in producers, 
but you heard again, you stick a pin in 65, put it in 75, 85, and 95. That pin is pulling out the same specimen kind of for the most part. They had some outliers, right? So then you have their catalog at, at what'd you say, two? Two, two and a half, I think. Two and a half. Two and a half. We'll call it two and a half. Okay. I mean, I had their, their catalog at a three, so it's not too far off. Like, you're right. There's a lot of, you know, 25 albums in a 50-year recording career. Right. There's a lot of stuff in there that's not going to... But we've talked about this several times. Like, can you go 20 deep on this this band? I clearly did. You can probably go 30 yeah, deep. On. 30 deep. Right. And that's a rarity. Yeah. Right. I think I'll, Zeppelin might that. be the one band that we've done in the past that we like, you can go 30 on Zeppelin. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, even the doors, I think it's 20, you might scratch on the surface. Like, yep. Yep. Know, yep. Dig a little round for that. All right. And then as far as cool goes, I'm at a 4 8. Yeah. If you, to, to move the way Mick Jagger moves and still accomplish the, the popularity and stuff, there's nobody in history that can do that. Right. I mean, the, when you have a top 40 song, Moves Like Jagger, you know, you've done something. That's yeah. a, that's an industry right, you've got right. there. I have them at a five because I think they're the coolest fucking thing ever. I love them. Thank you for sticking with this. Yeah, this, was a, this, this, was, this was a long episode. Ooh. We haven't had a chance to do this in a while due to travel and work and vacation and all kinds of other crap. And I'm on the road for the next month straight. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to process this during some hotel time. Really appreciate you hanging with us. So normally we close with late night bullfight, but to tip our caps and a rest in peace to Sinead O'Connor, we're going to close with her. 